Welcome to Citizen Science, stories of science we can do together, coming to you from SciStarter's virtual world headquarters. In this episode, we'll learn how you can give your brain to medical research while you're still alive by participating in health-related citizen science projects. Hey, Bob. Hi, Caroline. Uh, Caroline actually isn't really on this podcast. That's just a clip from last month. She's at the University of Florida working on her PhD in agricultural communication and journalism. I just played that clip because I miss having her here at the SciStarter podcast. And oh, what the heck? Let's give her a call. Hello? Caroline, it's Bob. Oh my gosh, Bob, how are you doing? <laughs> Good, here, but, but lonely here in podcast landia without you. How are you doing? <laughs> well, I have transitioned into my role as number one fan. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and could you remind us again what you're doing now and, and why it's more important than uh, helping with this podcast? Well, it is not more important, first of all. And I, I do tune into all the episodes. I actually, mm -hmm. um, this is funny. If anybody is ever in Gainesville, Florida at 8 a.m. on a weekday, you'll okay. see me walking along Archer Road listening to this podcast um, <laughs> on my way to campus. But um, yeah, I'm a PhD student. Um, I, I study uh, public engagement in science and the environment. Um, and but I still get to help out with some things at SciStarter, but I really am. Bob, you do such a great job with these episodes. Oh, so thank you. It actually is really nice just to be a listener. I, uh, I can't wait to hear this latest one. Um, uh -huh. I love the All of Us research program. I mean, health research is like a big passion of mine just as a citizen scientist myself. So really, really eager to tune in. Well, thanks so much. And, uh, you know, again, I really miss you. It's, it's weird doing this without you, but I hope you'll check in and maybe we can call and you can like sort of virtually be on the podcast every now and then. Well, I've always wanted to have my own advice column. So if, yeah. <laughs> if people e email in their citizen science problems and uh, requests for advice, I'm happy to answer those. That's great. You could be, we could be a regular department. <laughs> yeah, I so feel better if, already. <laughs> if anybody listening has a specifically citizen science related problem they'd like advice on, feel free to email that to info at scistarter.org and we're happy to answer that on the pod. I think that'd be really fun. But otherwise, oh, like great. I just can't wait to cheer you on, Bob. Thank you again for doing the work you do. Well, thank you for being such a great co-host. Good luck. Bye, Bob. Okay, so you heard it here, folks. Caroline's Citizen Science Advice column is open for business. Share your sit-side burdens, questions, concerns, relationship issues, anything at all. No, just kidding. Just stick to sit-side related stuff. To info at SciStarter.org. And um, maybe put Ask Caroline in the subject line, and she'll do her best to respond on an upcoming podcast. Okay, on with the show. One of the most meaningful things that you can do as a citizen scientist is to help advance medical research. There are countless areas of medicine that can benefit from your input, and you can quite literally save lives. Because medical research, citizen science, isn't just for science fans or bird lovers or stargazers, it's for all of us which serendipitously is the name of the first project we're featuring. All of Us is a national program to get medical information from a wide sample of American volunteers. To tell us more about it, we have Kirsten Carroll at the University of Pittsburgh with us today. 
Kirsten is Senior Research Participant Recruiter for All of Us Pennsylvania. Hi, Kirsten. Thanks for being with us. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me. So All of Us, is it seems like a sort of an unusual citizen science program because usually people, you know, are collecting data with their cell phones or making observations or looking at stuff on the computer and analyzing it. What do people contribute when they sign up for All of Us? Yeah, so the mission of All of Us is really simple, to speed up health research and medical breakthroughs. Um, in order to do this, the All of Us Research Program is asking 1 million people across the nation to come together, and we're going to try to create the world's largest health database ever. So what we're asking of you know citizen scientists out there and people who want to participate is to you know, do some online consensus surveys. But then there is an in-person um, component to the enrollment where we would have them come into an appointment and take some measurements and um, some bio samples and some additional information to put into this database for researchers down the line to be able to access and do their research. So it's a, it's a bit more of a commitment than some citizen science yes. projects. And why do you need this data? So right now, medical research is really typically being done on university settings in large cities, and we're not really getting a diverse data set um, from those populations. So mm -hmm. we really need to be able to collect information from all different types of people because we more and more are seeing how different we each are in our lifestyles, in our environment, all of those different things affect our health. And if we're only taking into consideration a very small data set, then we're not really getting the data that we need in order to create a healthier future. Okay. Now you work with All of Us Pennsylvania. Correct. Uh, how many All of Uses, All of Us I, All of Uses are there? Is it growing? There, Is it There are consortiums across um, the, the entire nation, across all of the U.S., again, because we're creating that diverse data set from all over the place. And if you aren't close by to one of the consortiums, you can still enroll at joinallofus.org and do those consensus surveys. And as we grow, we will be into those areas and we will make sure that it becomes available. Or there is um, a pilot program that this is not exactly out in the public yet, but we um have a saliva program that's hopefully going to be coming out here soon, where if you complete those consensus surveys, they may contact you to send you a saliva kit and send that information in um, that way, as opposed to, you know, coming in for an in-person visit if you are not close to um, a center that's doing the in-person part. Wow, great. Yeah. So, okay, so it's called All of Us. Yes. Um, but how do you make it really represent all of us? How do you make sure the participant pool is diverse and not just, you know, that subset of people who are into citizen science? Yeah, that is such a great question. And that is so the core of our program. And one of the ways that we make sure that we do that is we go out into the community as much as we possibly can. So our enrollment team will pack up all of their equipment and they will go out into the community to libraries, YMCAs, different doctor's offices, and they will set up what we call our pop-up event so we can enroll people from all over the place. And that's a really cool thing because we want to make sure that community members have access to the program and we want to make sure that they're being included in the program to help with that diverse data set. 
Great. Do you have any um, anecdotes or stories or anything that you'd like to share about the program? Oh, gosh, I have many anecdotes or stories. But <laughs> <laughs> one thing I really you know, wanted to share with you, Bob, is you know, when the pandemic hit back in 2020, early 2020, you know, there were a lot of unknowns and a lot of things that um, researchers were trying to figure out. And um, researchers really wanted to learn more about when and where COVID-19 first spread in the United States and how new antibody tests perform and can be used in such research. So people who had joined all of us um, you know, prior to that and still had given permission to the program permission to do research on the samples and data that they shared. Um, so when the COVID-19 pandemic began, the program already had thousands of samples on hand. And because of this, we were able to help with this important research and really identify when COVID-19 was first starting to spread in the U.S. in different states. So oh, wow. all of us tested blood samples collected during um, the time when the virus first started to appear and went back in batches of 5,000 um, and looked for the antibodies against the virus that co caused COVID-19. So it's very possible some of our participants had those antibodies and didn't even know it. Wow. Um, and this is just helping researchers learn more and more about the virus, its spread and its impact. Um, and we're just so grateful to our participants for helping make that study possible because we were able to detect that COVID-19 did hit the states a little earlier than originally thought. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, you know, one of the really cool things about this program. And it just shows the impact that it really can make. And, you know, who else knows what will come down the line that we might be exactly. able to use it for. Sometimes things can really come out of nowhere and affect our society to a degree that we never even knew existed. And the All of Us Research Program can, you know, hopefully help us in the future with anything like that that might pop up. Wow. And now that sort of brings up the whole privacy thing, right? So yep. you're collecting all these, keeping them forever. Um, and there's some distrust among certain populations. And even more lately, you know, since COVID, people distrustful of uh, medical establishment has even perhaps gotten worse in some ways. Absolutely. So how do you deal with that? Yeah. So privacy and security are at the highest standards at our program. So, you know, one of the things that we want to ensure is that our participants know that they are our partners in this. They are not, you know, research subjects. They are partners in this. So transparency is obviously the first thing that comes to mind. Um, anything that may happen to the data will be relayed to them. When you are enrolled into the program, you go into the database as a number. You don't go in as your name. Um, any personal information is not attached to your information. So okay. we do try to ensure that our participants that their privacy and their security is of the utmost importance of our, at our program. Great, great. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share? You know, I just, I want to share how easy and simple the enrollment process is. Um, so you can visit joinallofus.org and you can create your account right there and start answering those consents and surveys. Um, might take you a little bit of time, but be patient with it because all of the information you're giving us is incredibly important to our researchers. And then once you're done, um, you can call and make an appointment if you're near one of our clinics or, you know, one of our consortiums. And if you're not, after you do that, like I said, maybe they'll be calling you for that saliva kit, which is really exciting. Um, no promises. It's still in development, but mm -hmm. it is something that's, you know, we're really excited about. Um, and, you know, make your appointment to come do those physical measurements and we will 
take some bio samples. Yes, that means a little bit of blood, but don't worry. It's not that much blood. And yeah, just enroll and participate and be part of something that could really potentially be groundbreaking in the future of our healthcare. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Absolutely. uh, Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Now, there is, of course, important medical information that you can't get from blood or saliva, like info on biomechanics or how you move. Doctors specializing in mobility and biomechanics generally see patients seeking treatment for mobility issues. But what's the full range of human mobility? To discover that, researchers need data from people of every age, size, and condition, and that's where the Mobile Health and Movement Assessment Project comes in. Stanford PhD candidate Melissa Boswell works in Stanford's Neuromuscular Biomechanics Lab and runs the project and its mobile app, Sit to Stand. Hey, Melissa, thanks for being with us. Hi, Bob. Thanks so much for having me. So to start out, could you give us sort of a thumbnail description of the Mobile Health and Movement Assessment Project and and its goals? Yeah, absolutely. So the goal of our project was to make biomechanical assessments available at home. And so biomechanical assessments being quantifying how we're moving. And Mm -hmm. in biomechanics, we use physics to better understand how we're moving. And this can better help treat and diagnose diseases that affect movement and injury. But historically, biomechanics studies have been limited to a biomechanics lab that has motion capture markers and force plates and a lot of expensive technology. Um, but, But recently, with advancements in computer science and machine learning, we've had technologies that are being developed that can actually take a video of a person moving and estimate their position and movements um, by tracking their joints in the video. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. So, so this is, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, so how, so uh, who are, are you looking for people who have issues with biomechanics or just anybody who wants to contribute? Yeah, so since this technology is pretty new, we haven't really developed platforms that have made it an accessible uh, technology for anyone to use. It's still sort of been in the hands of scientists. So our goal was just to develop a web app where people could do a self-guided biomechanics assessment. And we we chose the sit-to-stand test, which is a common clinical test of a function where a person goes from sitting to standing as fast as they can five times. Um, And in our study, we were just looking to have anyone that is can safely do that participate and in that way deploy it nationwide, which is something that hasn't really been able to be accomplished in a, in a typical biomechanics study before. Huh. Do you have to like standardize it? So, you know, one person sitting on a little stool, another person's on a bar stool, another person's on a wheelie chair or something. Do they have to say, you're, you're going to use a chair of this type and face this way and, and you know, make it so everybody's the same? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one of the biggest things that can influence this is the angle that you're recording at, how close you are, making sure that the person is is fully visible in the video. Mm-hmm. And then obviously for the test itself, you're right, things like the type of chair that a person uses um, and, for example, how tall they are relative to the chair and these different things can influence that. Um, for our study, we tried to standardize it by giving instructions specifying the angle of the phone and specifying the type of chair We've learned a lot from our study, and hopefully leveraging these other disciplines, we can start to have more standard and accessible um, instructions for for carrying out these types of studies, too. 
Okay. And how do I or others uh, get going, get started? Yeah, so you can anyone can participate by going to our website, which is sittostand.ai. So it's the word sit, the number two, and the word stand.ai. And on there, you can request um, a link to be part of the study. As long as you live in the United States, you're qualified to participate and can safely go from sitting to standing. But you can also just learn more about the study on that website as well. Okay. And do you uh, do you need lots of people? I mean, is it if you got um, you know, a million people, would that be too much? Or do you need a set amount and it's a smaller number? A million people would be incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we are, for this study, you know, we're just looking to make sure that we're getting similar results to what we see in a lab. Um, So far, we've had about 500 people participate and we are able to explore some new and interesting relationships between movement and different aspects of physical and mental health. And the Mm -hmm. more people that we are able to include in our study and the more data that we're able to have, um, then the the more interesting and, and may, maybe new relationships that we'll be able to find. I mean, I think that's what I'm, I'm really excited about is, is finally being able to collect enough movement data that we can really learn from and leverage how we move to better understand our health and perhaps intervene to help improve our, our health and physical function for those who need it. And I know it's early, but have you learned anything yet? Are there any anecdotes even? Um, I, I suppose there isn't anything published yet, but but uh, where are you so far with that? Yeah, I am hesitant to <laughs> talk too specific about our results because we are in the process of writing the paper up and, and doing our analyses. Mm-hmm. But so far, we are seeing similar patterns to what we'd see in in-lab results. So for example, like the timing of a person doing sit-to-stand is is related to age and weight and, and body mass index and, and things like that. Um, and we are seeing relationships between the way in which a person is going from sitting to standing and certain medical conditions and as well as participant characteristics. And it's been exciting to see that we've seen a lot of expected results that other labs have in-lab studies have found, but we've also been able to explore some new relationships between movement and mental health that are more exploratory and hypothesis generating, but um, haven't really been looked at before. And I think that's that's something that I'm really excited about with this project. Great. Anything else we haven't covered that uh, that you want to make sure people understand? What I'm excited about um, in biomechanics, we've really learned how movement can be a marker of our health and well-being, but it has been so small scale. And I think having this accessible, more accessible tools for people to be able to monitor how they move um, at home will increase access um, to not just monitoring their health, but ways to intervene and, and improve that. And, and perhaps biomechanics can be another sort of biomarker for our health and well-being. And um, the more people that want to engage with that and are excited by that, you know, the better and the more we can learn and then in turn help understand biomechanics and perhaps help people through that. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Well, thanks for being with us, Melissa. Yeah. Thank you so much. So now you're probably saying, wow, what a great podcast this is, but how do I keep up with cool citizen science stuff more regularly? Well, it's funny you should ask, because I was just thinking that I should remind you to go to scistarter.org and sign up. 
It's fast, it's easy, and you'll get the awesome, informative, and entertaining SciStarter newsletter sent right to your email inbox. And while you're at SciStarter.org, check out SciStarter.org forward slash training. That takes you to a short online course on citizen science that was produced with support from the National Library of Medicine. Complete the course on Foundations of Citizen Science, and you'll get a digital badge and certificate suitable for framing and posting on LinkedIn to impress your lucky future employer. Okay, our next and final guest on this episode is Autumn Kurtz at Outbreaks Near Me. That's a really important and timely project for tracking infectious diseases like COVID. Hey, Autumn, thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you for having me. So I know your project has gone through a few different changes and iterations. I signed up for COVID near you, COVID near me, <laughs> COVID near COVID, you, COVID near you, um, and uh, I've been, you know, reporting, uh, you know, my health status and vaccination status and that sort of thing. Um, but now it's outbreaks near me. So could you kind of give us a rundown of what this project is and and how it's evolving and and what's new? Yeah. So we actually had flu near you as one of our team sort of primary uh, pilot projects about a decade ago, um, which has a really engaged user base and a really good history of tracking flu. And in March of 2020, we launched COVID Near You as a sister site of Flu Near You to do similar tracking through self-reported data and crowdsourced data for COVID-19. But our team quickly realized that having two sites that do basically the same thing Um, for diseases with somewhat similar symptomology was not the most efficient. So we combined those two sites into what is now Outbreaks Near Me. Okay. And so is it more than just flu and COVID? So it does track a variety of symptoms. Um, So one of the goals of Outbreaks Near Me and sort of the new integration of the sites built on newer technology is that if there was another emerging disease, we'd be able to track that pretty quickly. Um, I would say it's best sort of fine-tuned for respiratory illnesses, um, though we do collect symptoms for that could relate to gastrointestinal illness, foodborne illness, and other types of illnesses as well. So anything that has a syndromic definition, so a series of symptoms that can help classify that disease, we in theory would be able to track. Okay. And so for our listeners at home who are interested in joining, um, how do they do it and, and what is expected of them? Yeah, so you can join by visiting www.outbreaksnearme.org. Right now we have reporting available for U.S., Canadian, and Mexican residents. Um, And you can toggle to which country you'll be reporting from. Mm -hmm. Um, And what is sort of required from you? uh, We we encourage reporters to make an account. So what that means is we have a little bit more um, contact information for you. It's a little bit more of an engaged user experience. But if that is not something you want to do, you can also just report um, as you sort of want to. Um, With having an account, you will get weekly reminders to report. So you can sign up for either email or text message reporting based on what your preference is. Um, And every week, we ask you if you're feeling healthy or sick. And depending on that answer, uh, we ask you other questions. It might be around COVID-19 testing, uh, flu and COVID vaccination. If you're not feeling well, we'll ask what symptoms you're experiencing um, and if you've had any diagnoses. And we also allow you to report on members of your household. So that can be children, a spouse or a partner. That could be parents, grandparents, roommates, anyone who lives under your household, who's how, who you are aware of how they're feeling, you can also report on the health of. 
Uh huh. And now I guess outbreaks near me is is quite new, but you've been doing similar things for a while. What what sorts of mm -hmm. things are you learning? Yeah. So one of the things we really are interested in learning and, and have seen interesting insights into from flu near you and now outbreaks near me is this proportion of the population that is symptomatic, not feeling great, experiencing symptoms that look like flu or COVID, but isn't sick enough to seek any health care. So they're not going to the doctor, they're not going to urgent care, they're not going to the hospital. And those individuals are not detected by oh. existing surveillance systems because they're not interacting with healthcare in any way. Um, so it's been interesting to see what proportion of the population might be sick, but we aren't detecting in other systems. Um, and if there's any differences in those individuals, are those individuals more likely to be in urban or rural areas? Are they more likely to be older or younger, male or female, things like that? And it can really help give a better picture of what the disease burden of respiratory illness particularly is um, in the United States and in Canada, or it can help us figure out where we might be able to improve getting access to care for individuals who may be sick. Any um, studies reported in journals or anything like that that have used any of this data? Yeah, so we've had um, a series, Flu Near You has had a series of publications. Um, our team has been quite busy, as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, during COVID-19. So we have not put out any specific um, outbreaks near me with our surveillance platform um, papers yet, but there was there's a few that have come out from other groups. We work really closely with some other research teams. Um, one up in Canada, they were able to publish on this, um, looking at healthcare utilization and testing in Canada related to COVID-19. Um, there's also a paper that I think came out this summer um, from some folks at the CDC, which looked at estimating the incidence of COVID-related hospitalizations in the U.S. Mm -hmm. in 2020 um, that use our data. Um, as I mentioned before, sort of looking at how many people have COVID and then are they seeking care? What type of care down to hospitalization? Mm -hmm. Anything else you'd like to share? Any anecdotes or any other, um, just anything that we haven't covered? Yeah, so our team recently launched under Outbreaks Near Me a rapid test survey. Um, huh. Millions of people are taking at-home tests right now. It's something we've never really had for uh, an infectious disease to this level. So we're really excited to be able to capture that data because a lot of that data is not being captured elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and that's sort of one of our, our big things that we try to do at Outbreaks Near Me is capture disease data that isn't being captured by traditional surveillance. So um, as you take an at-home test, feel free to report your results. Um, you can find that survey on our website, um, www.outbreaksnearme.org at the bottom to COVID-19 rapid test, or you can visit rapidtestresult.org and it'll uh, direct you to that survey as well. So that's sort of a, a new thing that's happened with COVID is, is widespread at-home testing. And we really hope to be able to capture what sort of the, the distribution of testing, the, the positivity, the amount of people getting follow-up testing looks like to get a better understanding of how it's being utilized in the population. Hmm, great. Well, okay, well, thanks. Um, anything, just um, before we say goodbye, anything else that you wanted to share? Yeah, I'll just share that. This work's really important uh, for your listeners. It, it'd be great um, if we could get some new users for this work. I know uh, we're all a little tired of thinking about COVID, uh -huh, um, yeah. but given how 
important it is for early detection and response for disease, our real-time reporting really does help support um, existing surveillance measures and can help track emerging diseases like the next pandemic. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you. Well, there you go. Three projects that will help you help medical researchers studying a wide range of diseases and health threats. And there are so many more. Just go to SciStarter.org, open the Project Finder, and select the Health and Medicine category to find them. Special thanks to SciStarter's Caroline Nickerson for showing me the ropes here at the SciStarter podcast and being my brilliant co-host for the past year. If you want citizen science tips, encouragement, or advice, email her at info at with the subject line, Ask Caroline. I'm Bob Hershon. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you each month by SciStarter, where you'll find thousands of citizen science projects, events, and tools. It's all at SciStarter.org. That's S-C-I-S-T-A-R-T-E-R.org. SciStarter's co-founder is Darlene Cavalier. And thanks so much to you, the listener and the citizen scientist, for getting involved and making a difference. If you have any ideas that you want to share with us and any things you want to hear on this podcast, get in touch with us at info at Once again, our email address is info at Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>